Thank you, Dave, and it's sure good to be with all of you today. After, I didn't know he was going to mention anything about my history in basketball, so you might be wondering, how does a big guy like that play basketball? Well, I'm not really as big as I look. I, we stopped at Bucky's on the way here. <laughs> we heard about the infamous Bucky's, so we stopped and had a brisket sandwich as side as uh, the state of Kansas. <clears throat> um, we do reside in Kansas. Um, we are proud of our basketball there. Uh, Kansas is known for being a basketball state. Uh, first time that the Olympics had men's basketball was 1936 in front of Adolf Hitler, and six of the ten players that played for the U.S. team who won the gold medal were from McPherson, Kansas. And, of course, Kansas University is always right up there with everybody else and the rankings and but when we moved to Texas uh, years ago to go to seminary I found out that there's two sports in Texas uh, fall football and spring football and you've heard that before uh, so you're known for that and it's usually Texas teams that are up there somewhere and uh, oftentimes contenders for national championships like they are right now I grew up in Iowa, a big Hawkeye fan, and I just want to remind you that for you Horn Frog fans, that your quarterback is from Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> and so, on behalf of the state of Iowa, you're welcome. <laughs> but even though the state of Iowa and the University of Iowa are contenders for conference championships once in a while, they're not ever national contenders. Uh, they're good in basketball some years and some years not, and they're good in football some years and some years not. But where they do excel and where they are contenders for national championships almost every year is in men's wrestling. I'll show you a picture right here of that. Wrestling is big in Iowa. In fact, when I was in high school, you were required to take wrestling for PE before you could graduate. And it was during that time, which I hated, I played basketball, but hated wrestling. In that one semester, I learned what kind of energy it takes to be a wrestler. Those two minutes on a map are forever. They just seem to, seconds seem to tick down slow and uh, you're exhausted. Wrestling's a sport that... Um, takes more energy than I ever have dreamed of, and it took a lot more energy than I ever experienced on the basketball court. And today, I want to talk with you not about two individuals going at each other on a, on a mat, but I want to talk with you about a more important type of wrestler. And there's some of those wrestlers that are even here this morning. They wrestle in a different way, but their wrestling demands just as much energy, just as much stamina, and just as much endurance. We have a wrestler like that in the Bible who sets an example for us, an example that's given to us to read, to consider, and to even to emulate. And this example is found in the book of Colossians. If you turn there with me, Colossians chapter 4, 
As Paul wraps up this epistle, I'd like you to keep in mind that this is one of the prison epistles. This is where he is under arrest. And did you know that five of his 13 epistles that he wrote, he wrote while he was under arrest. He was in prison during these times that he wrote five of his 13 epistles. He did not waste opportunity to get taken kind of off the mission trail and was able to use those times for writing, which we benefit yet to this day, 2,000 years later. But he also used it, I believe, for intensive prayer. But there was a man that was with him. His name is Epaphras. Some people might pronounce it Epaphras. We don't really know. I call him Epaphras. But he's listed three times in the New Testament. Two of those times are in the book of Colossians at the very beginning, the very end. And one of the times in the book of Philemon in which he sends his greetings. He's also called a fellow worker, a fellow servant with Paul, but also a fellow prisoner. And he was associated with Paul, connected with Paul. He was a companion of Paul in ministry. And he had a special type of ministry that we get just a very small peek at in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. If you look at the verse, a bondservant of Christ, of course, was a willing servant, a person who willingly served his master even though he could have been set free. And he willingly serves Jesus Christ and he sends his greetings to these people who he has a special attachment to. They're in that particular region of Colossae and Laodicea, likely from there. He has a zeal for them, it says, a, a special compassion, a special, a special heart for them. And then Paul says this, he labors fervently for you in prayer. Some of your versions actually use the word, he wrestles for you. In prayer. This word wrestling is the Greek word agonizomai, and I don't think it's important to give you Greek words unless there's special advantage of learning them because we have a word that we get from that agonizomai, and that's to agonize. It means to struggle, it means to fight. It's used in that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's used that way in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul concludes his life and says, I have fought the good fight. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. The Christian life is not lived successfully with ease. There's effort. There's struggle. There's opposition. There's difficulties and challenges that we face. There's discipline that's involved. That doesn't mean that we minimize the work of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, for without that, we cannot live the Christian life. 
but coupled with God's spiritual provisions is the fact that we make efforts. And one of the great efforts that we see in Epiphras' life is to struggle in prayer. What did he pray for? Well, he prayed for that they would stand in the will of God. What's that? Well, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, your spiritual growth. To be sanctified is the same word to live a holy life. And he prays for their spiritual growth. And you can imagine that if one struggles in prayer, it wasn't a flippant prayer of, Lord, help them grow. Thank you for this soup. Amen. It was heartfelt. I'm sure specifics were mentioned. I'm sure specific individuals he had in mind. As he wrestled in prayer and asking God for specific things and changing their lives. Right now, Patty and I are serving in a small church. They're meeting right at this moment as well. If everybody would come on a given Sunday, it'd be about 60 to 80 people. And I could go through that congregation and give you prayer requests that I personally would have for each individual as I've gotten to know them more and more. The ones that deal with discouragement, the ones that are apathetic, the ones that deal with fear, the ones that are very young in the Lord. And to pray for them effectively, it's hard work. (laughs) If I could just pray, Lord, uh, pray that our people in our church will grow spiritually, that's easy. 